0: I think
1: it's really working out very well. Are all three women lying? What's your next question? <laughs> yeah, I can hardly
0: blame them. But I do anyway. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the
1: feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how i get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you yep. yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica you. Radio this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles up in Oregon on the central coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WTPA, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX. Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining me today, and my female assistant, Desi Doyen.
0: (laughs) Okay, that's the word you're going with now?
1: Well, you know, that's the word Mitch McConnell is going with, describing the uh, woman Rachel Mitchell, the sex crime prosecutor who the uh, Senate Republicans are apparently renting in order to be their one female Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee.
0: Since they don't have one and never have had one. Correct.
1: In any event, uh, hey, here's a fun blast from the past. This via Dan Frumkin, formerly of the Washington Post, a story from... From the Post in 1990 by Carlos Sanchez about the heads of seven D.C. area private schools and house parties where, quote, excessive drinking and sexual license are common, unquote. The headmaster said they believed that uh, on most weekends there is at least one large party, sometimes with several hundred students in attendance. The letter said, this is a letter sent to parents, uh, quote, it would be hard to devise a better recipe for disaster than a social scene that includes the anonymity provided by an open party, no adult supervision, considerable amounts of alcohol, And teenage hormones, which encourage sexual or violent behavior. The two page letter was signed by the headmasters from Georgetown Prep, where, um, what's his name? Brett Kavanaugh. That's right. Brett Kavanaugh went to school. Uh, Landon Gonzaga College High, National Cathedral, Holton Arms. Where Doctor Christine Blasi uh, Ford went to school, St. Albans and Sidwell Friends School. So um, that was 1990, just a few years after Brett Kavanaugh graduated from Georgetown Prep. Just some food for thought there today, which may provide a bit of contemporaneous background for a few of the stories I want to talk about. We we've um, we've been so overwhelmed here of late with hurricanes and potential constitutional crises and the Supreme Court nomination that I'd hoped in advance of Thursday's scheduled hearing uh, in the U.S. Ju- uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, which will frankly be amazing if it actually happens at this point. Uh, I had been hoping that I might be able to focus at least for a few minutes on some on one of our ways out, really our only way out to some extent of this ongoing hellhole of a uh, Country Now off the rails, Uh, that would be the November 6th elections. And I'm still going to try to get to at least some of that today if possible. But yes, much more has broken on Wednesday morning that I fear may get entirely lost if the testimony from Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and Judge Brett Kavanaugh and only Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and Judge Brett Kavanaugh, as far as we know, if that testimony actually moves ahead on Thursday, um, so I want to make sure that you at least hear about these important developments before that hearing happens and before the president of the United States decides to somehow blow everything up in a fit of pique over it all by who knows, firing Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein or um, and then making his first real move to kill the special counsel probe investigating him and his campaign and his business uh, and his fake charity and his entire crime family. So I want to get to uh, some of this now. Uh, Donald Trump, as we go to air, is uh, holding a press conference at the U.N. Uh, where he describes all of the allegations, all of the allegations uh, by now three women on record Um. As a giant con job by the Democrats, he repeated that over and over again at the U.N., though he did say he'd be, quote, open to changing my mind after hearing from the accusers. But as far as we know, only one of those now three accusers will testify on Thursday. Um, But let's start here. The attorneys for Christine Blasey Ford have have uh, sworn and signed declarations from four people who she told about her claims of sexual assault by supreme court nominee brett kavanaugh years ago and long before he became a u.s supreme court nominee Um, not just the charges but that she talked to about those charges long before he became a u.s supreme court nominee in documents sent to the senate judiciary committee Ford's attorneys present declarations which are sworn declarations under the penalty of perjury for these people who made these declarations from Ford's husband, Russell, and three friends of hers who support uh, the California college professor's accusations that Kavanaugh pinned her to a bed, groped her, and attempted to pull off her clothes while uh, while both of them were high school students back in 1982 in the D.C. area as we noted from the Washington Post's 1990 story. Kavanaugh also faces a second accusation, of course, of sexual assault from Deborah Ramirez, who claims that Kavanaugh exposed himself and pushed his genitals into her face at a drunken party during the uh, his freshman academic year at Yale University. And now a third-named accuser has filed a sworn declaration herself on Wednesday. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, I guess a reminder is necessary here. Today's show may not be good for young children uh, or frankly, really anybody for that matter. But this is what is going on right now in our country. Kavanaugh, of course, has flatly denied all of the accusations, including during a national uh, televised interview on Republican news outlet Fox News on Monday night, as well as uh, denying the new allegation that has been made public today. Though he has failed to ask for an FBI investigation for some reason into any of them to clear what he describes as his good name and reputation. So to the declarations filed by Dr. Blasi Ford's attorney today, Adelo Gildo Mazan said Ford told her about the alleged 1982 assault during a June 2013 meal at a restaurant in Mountain View, California, five years ago long before Kavanaugh was a Supreme Court nominee. Uh, In her declaration, she says, During our meal, Christine was visibly upset, so I asked what was going on. Christine told me she had been having a hard day because she was thinking about an assault she experienced when she was much younger. She said she had been almost raped by someone who was now a federal judge. She told me she had been trapped in a room with two drunken guys and that she escaped and ran away and hid. That was five years ago when she uh, had that conversation with Ford, allegedly, according to her declaration, under penalty of perjury. According to that uh, statement, uh, she has known Ford for more than 10 years, considers her a good friend. In another declaration also filed, Keith Kegler said that Ford revealed the alleged assault to him back in 2016 when the uh, two parents were watching their children play in a public place and discussing the light sentencing of Stanford University student Brock Turner. He said Kegler said uh, Christine expressed anger at Turner's lenient sentence, stating that she was particularly bothered by it because she was assaulted in high school by a man who was now a federal judge in Washington, D.C., Christine did not mention the assault to me again until June of 2018, two days after Justice Anthony Kennedy announced his resignation from the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, of course, Kavanaugh emerged as the nominee uh, from a large list of contenders that the Federalist Society and Heritage Foundation had had compiled for Trump, which he released during his 2016 campaign and later added uh, uh, Kavanaugh to. But at that time, uh, he had not yet picked Kavanaugh on that day. uh, Kegler said that Ford revealed to him in an email that the person who had assaulted her in high school was at that point. President Donald Trump's reported, quote, favorite for SCOTUS. In his response, Kegler wrote, I remember you telling me about him, but I don't remember his name. Do you mind telling me so I can read about him? Ford's emailed response was, quote, Brett Kavanaugh. So, again, presumably this is all kinds of stuff that if there was any sort of legitimate investigation by anybody, by the FBI, certainly this would be Evidence that would be put into the uh, the case file here for senators to decide it's being put into the case file now by the attorneys of the accused. In another declaration, Rebecca White, a neighbor and friend of more than six years, said that Ford revealed the alleged assault against her in 2017. She said, I was walking my dog and Christine was outside of her house. I stopped to speak with her. She told me she had read a recent social media post That I had written about my own experience with sexual assault. She told me uh, that when she was a young teen, she had been sexually assaulted by an older teen. The declaration says, I remember her saying that her assailant was now a federal judge. So that's uh, three declarations, three witnesses that uh, had been told about this alleged attack. In his own declaration, Ford's husband said he learned about his wife's experience with sexual assault around the time we got married, but that she didn't share details until a uh, therapy session in 2012, a couple's therapy. Uh, He says, I remember her saying that her attacker's name was Brett Kavanaugh, that he was a successful lawyer who had grown up in Christine's hometown, and that he was well known in the Washington, D.C. community. He said his wife was, quote, afraid Trump would nominate Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court and was very conflicted about whether she should come forward with her story or not. She eventually did, as we now know. When, But here's what people don't seem to know. We learned about this, or at least Congress learned about this, when Ford sent a letter to her U.S. House uh, representative, Anna Eschew. But this was before Kavanaugh was nominated when she sent this letter to her congressperson. It's part of the story that seems to have gotten lost here amid the claim that Democrats have made all made up all of this stuff in order to block Kavanaugh's seating. While this letter was sent to Congress before Kavanaugh was even nominated. Hello. Blossie Ford is on record with her congressperson before that nomination happened with these allegations. Now, whether that fact and these declarations under penalty of perjury come to light in Thursday's hearings in the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, if those hearings happen at all at this point, I can't tell you. But since uh, for some reason those witnesses are not being called by the Judiciary Committee, nor is the witness said to have been in the room at the time of the alleged attempted rape, that would be Kavanaugh's close friend, Mark Judge, He's not being called. He won't be there, apparently. Uh, Nor will there apparently be any FBI investigation into any of this, incredibly, at this hour. I thought, you know, I wanted to go through those declarations to make sure you understood before they otherwise get lost. Now, if the committee hearing actually does happen, it seems that Kavanaugh's second named accuser, Deborah Ramirez, who says Kavanaugh exposed himself to her at a party during their first year at Yale, That she will apparently not be allowed to testify, despite both the White House and the Senate Judiciary Committee pretending to be interested in her allegations. So why she's not called? I don't know. Maybe she will be at the last minute. Donald Trump said he wanted to hear from these women, these accusers, plural. Right now, there's only one set to uh, testify, Uh, so not the second one, Deborah Ramirez. She's not scheduled, nor, apparently, will the third named accuser who filed a startling declaration today, uh, also with the Judiciary Committee, whose uh, declaration is also under penalty of perjury and, frankly, in a word, horrifying. Uh, So, again, trigger warning here. I want to share it with you because I'm sure the details are going to be lost. Uh, So trigger warning, uh, children warning here. I'll try to be as sensitive as I can here. But you need to hear, I think, at least some of what this third woman, who we now know to be uh, named Julie Swetnick, what she is alleging in a sworn declaration under penalty of perjury against the man who Republicans incredibly still hope to be giving a lifetime appointment to on the U.S. Supreme Court as early as this weekend, even at least as of airtime today. It is just mind blowing to think that that won't change any minute, frankly, after seeing this declaration. I don't know if Donald Trump has seen this declaration or not. It's, you know, about three pages, so that's a lot to read for him. But still, uh, anyway, we will see. Uh, here is what Julie Swetnick alleges. Uh, she's a resident of Washington, D.C. She holds active security clearances associated with working with the federal government. Uh, the, the, her uh, clearance level is public trust. With the U.S. Department of Treasury, U.S. Mint, Internal Revenue Service, she has previously held inactive uh, clearances, secret clearances for the U.S. Department of State, U.S. Department of Justice, as well as uh, public trusts under the Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection. So she's had uh, many background checks against her, her own self uh, over the years. She writes, I first met Mark Judge and Brett Kavanaugh in approximately 1980 and 81. I was introduced to them at a house party that I attended in the D.C. area. I observed Mark Judge and Brett Kavanaugh as extremely close friends during the early 1980s when I knew them and interacted with them. I would describe them as, quote, joined at the hip, and I consistently saw them together in many social settings. There is no question in my mind, she writes, that Mark Judge has significant information concerning the conduct of Brett Kavanaugh during the 80s, especially as it relates to his action, his actions, I should say, toward women. Now, a Judge, in fact, wrote a book about his actions towards women in the 80s titled Wasted Tales of a Gen X Drunk, in which he writes about, among other things, a someone named Bart O. Uh, a friend who uh, he named as uh, he describes as, uh, quote, puking in someone's car and, quote, passed out on his way back from a party. But again, that guy, Mark Judge, who wrote about a Bart O'Cavanaugh, uh, who calls, by the way, uh, who refers to uh, Brett in his uh, yearbook page as Bart, uh, he will not be subpoenaed to testify. And he is said to be hiding out in Delaware at this time. Following the uh, back to um, Swetnick's declaration here. Following the first introduction, I attended well over 10 House parties in the D.C. area during the years 81 to 83, where Mark Judge and Brett Kavanaugh were present. These parties were a common occurrence in the area and occurred nearly every weekend during the school year on numerous occasions at these parties. I witnessed Judge and Kavanaugh drink excessively and engage in highly inappropriate conduct, including being overly aggressive with girls and not taking no for an answer. This conduct included the fondling and grabbing of girls without their consent. She says, I observed Brett Kavanaugh drink excessively at many of these parties and engage in abusive and physically aggressive behavior toward girls. Now, that is uh, similar to what Kavanaugh's freshman year roommate at Yale earlier this week said about him, that he was a nice enough guy, but that he would become belligerent when he got drunk, which he did quite frequently, according to that roommate. Swetnick says uh, that he would uh, become physically aggressive, including pressing girls against him without their consent, grinding against girls, and attempting to remove or shift girls' clothing to expose body parts. I likewise observed him be being verbally abusive toward girls by making crude sexual comments that were designed to demean, humiliate and embarrass them. I often witnessed Brett Kavanaugh speak in a demeaning manner about girls in general, as well as specific girls by name. I also witnessed Brett Kavanaugh behave as a, quote, mean drunk on many occasions at these parties. She says she also uh, witnessed such conduct on one occasion in Ocean City, Maryland, during Beach Week. Beach Week is noted on uh, the uh, calendars that Kavanaugh uh, has turned over as some sort of evidence from 1982 that he uh, couldn't possibly have participated in any of these things alleged against him. But uh, Swetnick goes on to say, I have reviewed, and this gets... Troubling, even more troubling in a moment. I've reviewed Brett Kavanaugh's recent claim on Fox News regarding his alleged innocence during his high school years and lack of sexual activity. This claim is absolutely false and a lie. She writes, I witnessed Brett Kavanaugh consistently engage in excessive drinking and inappropriate contact of a sexual nature with women during the early 80s. During the 1981, uh, the years 1981-82, I became aware of efforts by Mark Judge, Brett Kavanaugh, and others to spike the punch at house parties I attended with drugs or grain alcohol so as to cause girls to lose their inhibition and their ability to say no. This caused me to make an effort to purposely avoid the punch at these parties? She says, I witnessed efforts by Mark Judge, Brett Kavanaugh, and others to target particular particular girls. So they could be taken advantage of. She says it was usually a girl that was especially vulnerable because she was alone at the party or shy. I also witnessed efforts by Mark Judge, Brett Kavanaugh and others to cause girls to become inebriated and disoriented. So they could then be gang raped in a side room or bedroom by a, quote, train of numerous boys. I have firm recollection of seeing boys lined up outside rooms at many of these parties waiting for their turn with a girl inside the room. These boys included Mark Judge and Brett Kavanaugh, she writes, under penalty of perjury in her declaration. Finally, she goes on to say, in approximately 1982, I became the victim of one of these gang or train rapes where Mark Judge and Brett Kavanaugh were present. Shortly after the incident, I shared what had transpired with at least two other people. Two other people I presume she'd be able to name. The FBI would be able to investigate about all of this. If the president of the United States or the Republicans actually gave a damn about learning who they're about to appoint to a lifetime uh, seat on the highest court in the land. Anyway, she goes on to say, shortly after the incident, I shared what had transpired during the incident. I was incapacitated without my consent and unable to fight off the boys raping me. I believe I was drugged using quaaludes or something similar placed into what I was drinking. She says, I'm aware of other witnesses that can attest to the truthfulness of each of the statements above. I declare under penalty of perjury and under laws of the United States of America that the foregoing is true and correct. Julie Swetnick, again, a uh, federal employee uh, with a lot of security clearances over the years at a lot of uh, federal agencies, the Department of Treasury, the IRS, the Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, uh, that's what uh, she writes in this declaration.
0: The definition of a credible witness with all of those security clearances. And I just want to also note that the American Psychological Association noted today that about two thirds of female victims do not report to the police. That lack of reporting does not mean an assault or an attempted assault did not happen or is exaggerated.
1: But, you know, the longer the years go by, I guess that just is more evidence that it couldn't have happened. It was decades ago. If you're a
0: Republican, sure, Republicans are contradicting Mm. themselves. They claim these women should have gone to law enforcement right away when the assaults occurred, but then they're deflecting now when they're asked now if the FBI or law enforcement should investigate now.
1: It was decades ago. What could we possibly investigate? All of the evidence is gone. It doesn't exist. There's nobody to talk... Obviously, there are people to talk to. There is evidence. There are witnesses to all of this. Lots of it. Now, I should note for his part, Brett Kavanaugh has dismissed this new allegation uh, against him like the others. He says this one is, quote, ridiculous and from the twilight zone. I don't know who this is and this never happened. And that could be which we would find out, we would find out about what a big liar Julie Swetnick is if there was actually a legitimate investigation. But we can't have that because the new term of the Supreme Court begins on Monday, and Republicans really want Brett Kavanaugh on that court for a lifetime appointment as early as Monday. Uh, So Kavanaugh says this new charge is ridiculous. Uh, That said, Elizabeth Razor An ex-girlfriend of Mark Judge's told The New Yorker in a report that was published on Sunday prior to Swetnick's sworn declaration today that, in fact, Judge had ashamedly uh, related to her an incident where he and his friends, quote, took turns having sex with a drunk woman at a house party. Again, evidence. With that evidence, I just I continue. I don't see how this actually holds. I can't imagine how this nomination isn't at the very least put on hold for a proper investigation by the FBI before a vote is taken in the U.S. Senate. Uh, One is scheduled a vote for the Judiciary Committee on Friday, the day after Dr. Ford, the first accuser, is scheduled to testify, and Mitch McConnell has said that he hopes to have a full floor vote even as early as next week. Donald Trump speaking at the U.N. during his press conference said, oh, there might be one this weekend, Saturday or Sunday. Again, the new U.S. Supreme Court uh, session begins on Monday. Jackie Schechner, a a friend uh, of ours here, a guest, a former CNN producer, uh, tweeted uh, her prediction. She said Kavanaugh withdraws or Trump pulls him and then the president conflates his crisis and fires Rosenstein out of anger tomorrow. We are in for an ego fueled rampage of destructive decisions. She may be right about that. We will see. Bumpy Road Ahead. But uh, less than six weeks from now, the American people may finally get a say in all of this with the midterm elections. Let's talk about that after this break. Some looming hope ahead, maybe. Uh, Though what lies beyond that, <laughs> beyond November 6th, uh, that may be another question. Um, but anyway, one day, one crisis at a time. Uh, maybe. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast.
0: bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks.
1: Fly me to the moon. Yes. Let me play among the stars. Yes, please. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Words, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Why are we playing that song? Because we're going to do a segment about Space Force?
0: <laughs> no.
1: No? Elon Musk's uh, Space, what is it called? SpaceX? SpaceX? No. No, none of that.
0: No. The idea of wanting to be anywhere but just here right now. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. Uh, but anyway, we are here. And, so, uh, and there is something we can do about it. <laughs> A new poll from AP and MTV finds that nearly half of young Americans are anxious about the midterms as the November 6th election approaches. I can't imagine why they would be. But they also, however, are very engaged in this election, which frankly is probably why they're anxious Frankly, doing this show every day makes me anxious. Uh, I suspect people listening to this show probably feel anxious. The more you become engaged in what's going on,
0: the more you learn about how bad things are right now.
1: Yeah, it's, it's much easier, uh, frankly, to give a damn when, when you, to, to not give a damn, I should say, when, when you're not paying attention to the nation's ongoing nightmarish national emergency. Uh, If you pay attention, yeah, it can be kind of anxious-making right now. Uh, With weeks to go until the November midterm elections, AP writes, more young Americans are interested, but according to the new poll, they are also feeling more anxious about the results. A poll released on Wednesday by the AP uh, and MTV found that more young people now say they're feeling anxious about the midterms compared to Back in July, when they asked the same question, nearly half of young Americans aged 15 to 34 now say they are anxious about the midterms. That is up from 36 percent in the earlier poll. So uh, they're almost almost 50 percent now anxious. 39 just back in July. The big question, as AP observes, is whether. These young people will show up at the polls, I would say, and even bigger or at least as big question is whether they'll be able to show up at the polls and whether they'll be allowed to vote once they get there. They write young voters rarely turn out in numbers that match their share of the population, especially in years when a presidential candidate is not on the ballot. Uh, So the question is, will things be different this year? I'll get to some of that in a moment. But anxiety about November's elections uh, also grew among independents. It was particularly high, I should uh, say, among Democrats. That was the most pronounced among young Democrats, which frankly makes the most sense because they are the ones who are paying attention to what is going on in in our country right now. 61% expressed anxiety compared to uh, 39% in July among Democrats. So uh, maybe a lot of people listening to this program (laughs) getting more and more anxious the more they hear. It also, as I said, grew among independents. 43% among independents now describe themselves as anxious compared with 31% in July. Among Republicans, about one-third say they are anxious about midterms. That's about the same share that said so this summer. So they have not become any more anxious since July at least among young Republicans.
0: Well, they're getting what they've wanted all along. They've wanted these policies. They they want the judiciary to be taken over by far right-wingers. They like this stuff.
1: The young, uh, Though young voters participate in elections at low rates, the uh, poll suggests they are now paying closer attention <clears throat> than they were several months ago. Roughly two-thirds of those aged 15 to 34 now say they are interested in the elections compared with about 4 in 10 back in July. So 64% now say they are interested back in July. That number was just 41%. Uh, Interest is highest among Democrats. 73% of young Democrats say they are interested in the elections. That's up from 50% in July. So 73%. A smaller majority of Republicans, but it is still a majority at 62 percent, say they are interested today. That's still up dramatically from uh, 31 percent of Republicans who said they were interested uh, back in July. So uh, some interesting numbers here will link to this uh, to this poll. Young voters are more interested than they were in July. They are more hopeful than they were in July. I think that's good.
0: Oh de- yeah, definitely. So
1: yes, they are more anxious. They are also um feeling less helpless. That's good. Less overwhelmed. Also less excited. Don't know why. And less proud. Well, that I, can that I can understand. Too. Yeah, well, yeah. you know,
0: listen, there, there are going to be huge efforts between now and November 6th to discourage young people from voting, to make them feel overwhelmed, to make them want to give up, to make them feel helpless. Um, and so we have to help to encourage young people to stay engaged, to, to realize that they do have control over their own future if they get out and vote. If the young people of this country voted at the same rate as seniors do in this country, they would take over everything.
1: That said, uh, you know, because it's really easy to beat up on young voters. I've been watching this for years. No, 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 I know you're not. I know you're not. But there's a lot of uh, I've seen this, you know, AP is sort of taking a few swipes at them here. It is harder for young voters to vote. And there is a reason for that. This article, Philadelphia Inquirer, about a week or two ago, I've been trying to get to this. But uh, so let me jump in because I think this is a great article and gives an idea of how difficult it can be for the very voters that we're talking about.
0: Much harder than anybody who's a, an adult now actually remembers from when they were kids. It's gotten worse.
1: Philadelphia's Haverford College and some nearby residents have for years been trying to get a polling place close, closer to or on the grassy mainline campus. Students, most of whom do not have cars and who make up the majority of voters in this precinct, must travel about a mile and a half Partially on a road without any sidewalks in order to get to the polling place at Coopertown Elementary, which is not even in the same uh, the same precinct. Each proposal that they have made to Pennsylvania's Delaware County Board of Elections has been flatly rejected. Claiming not enough parking, the parking is too far from the entrance. It's a busy road, etc., etc. Jack Stolsteimer. The lawyer representing the petitioners here trying to get a precinct on campus alleges that the reason is uh, much more sinister than not enough parking. Uh, He says a largely Republican county government that is far from eager to make voting easier for Democratic leaning college campuses is the reason. He says, quote, there is no other reason to deny this petition other than the Republican Party is trying to discourage college students from voting. As colleges around the area ramp up efforts to get the vote out, Haverford's experience is not isolated. Nationally, college campuses have been fighting to make voting more convenient for students, and they have been facing obstacles. In this year's highly competitive midterm elections, political observers think such troubles could potentially make a difference in close races around the nation. Certainly should. Certainly will. Peter Levine, associate dean for research at Tufts University, says uh, youth are pivotal electoral constituency and partisan elected officials who oversee our elections make it more difficult for youth to vote if they think they'll vote the other way, adding we're the only developed democracy where elections are administered by partisan election officials. In Florida, early voting was banned at colleges by Secretary of State Ken Detzner, a Republican, hand-selected by outgoing Governor Rick Scott, until a federal judge ruled this year that the prohibition revealed, quote, a stark pattern of discrimination and was unconstitutional. Throughout the country, Levine said there's been a pattern of election officials sending threatening letters to students, They'll say if you try to vote in your college town and you're not eligible, it could jeopardize your parents' welfare or you could lose your in-state tuition. We've reported on the, on, on these sorts of stories over the years here on this show and at Bradblog.com. So no wonder these folks are anxious. They're, they're being threatened. Their parents are being threatened. In Baltimore, students campaigning to get a polling place on campus were told they would lose their scholarships if they registered at the campus address, according to Mike Burns, the director of Fair Elections Center uh, Campus Vote Project, which is working to uh, secure on-campus voting sites. Some barriers are more systemic, experts say Michigan allows absentee voting Unless it's the first year that a voter is casting a ballot. So that means a lot of college students are the first for the first time casting a ballot. And that means they can't get an absentee uh, a ballot. So many students end up having to go home to cast their vote if they can on a Tuesday in the middle of the school year. If they're able to do that at all, it's much easier in many cases, if you're a college student in Michigan, to simply not vote. Pennsylvania, meanwhile, does not allow early voting. Voters in the state can only vote via absentee ballot if they have a, 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 quote, excuse. So some partisan official needs to give them permission, needs to review that excuse, essentially, which is also a wieldy obstacle that uh, some, I suspect, some students simply would just choose not to try and overcome. Pennsylvania ranked 45th in Harvard and Sydney University's electoral integrity project among the states. They gave low marks to the state's voting laws as well they should Add to those voting laws the fact that most of the state is forced to vote on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, as I have said a time or two on this program. But that's if, of course, if they are able to vote at all. It's it's quite disgraceful. Uh, not to sound like Donald Trump, but it's a disgrace.
0: Oh, it's a terrible disgrace. It's it's a horrible. What, what What's the word when you say that you've you've trying to destroy democracy? That's what it is.
1: Whatever that word is, that, word. that is what it is. And they're succeeding. They have succeeded, arguably. We need to uh, unsucceed them.
0: We're having trouble with words today. Get
1: the thesaurus out, Desi. Uh, In a survey on the uh, uh, the 2016 election by the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement, 19% of young people with college experience who didn't vote said that transportation was one of the reasons. That would, of course, be fixed if there was a uh, polling place on their campus. 20 percent cited registration problems. 15 percent noted inconvenient hours or polling locations like a mile and a half away without a car.
0: And you have to walk on the road without a sidewalk. Without a
1: sidewalk. Uh, those numbers, that's a lot of voters who might otherwise have participated if things were made simpler simpler. And easier if uh, uh, officials actually wanted these people to vote, which in many cases they do not. Uh, it's easy to identify young people as, oh, they're probably going to lean Democratic. Let's uh, make this as hard as possible for them to vote. Kutchtown University in Berks County lost its polling place, for example, after residents had complained that it wasn't convenient and commissioners noted uh, low student turnout in municipal elections so they lost the polling place entirely that was near-ish by students lobbied to get the poll back and the state university offered several campus locations for it but by a two-to-one vote a majority of republican county commissioners back in 2016 decided to leave the polling place at the local township building which is a few miles from campus that's in berks county pennsylvania Haverford College, where we started this story, is in a congressional district that is seen as a likely pickup for Democrats. So, yeah, the Republicans probably really don't want to make it easier for folks to vote at this school, even though it's a small school. Former Democratic Governor Ed Rendell said of the uh, Pennsylvania uh, Democrats' house race back in March of this year, he said, look, Democrat Connor Lamb won his special election by 730 votes. He said, my guess is in Haverford, they've got close to a thousand potential voters. So, yeah, if those folks can be prevented from voting, it could be the difference in... A House race, which could then be the difference between Democrats taking back control of the U.S. House from Republicans this year or not. This matters, at least to those of us who actually care about democracy. And I do appreciate there's a lot of people who simply do not. Haverford's most recent round of efforts to bring a poll to the campus began in last year, in 2017, when the college supported a proposal to use the nearby Haverford Friends Meeting House. The election board, however, rejected that in Delaware County, citing a lack of parking and traffic on Buck Buck Lane Road. Uh, Last September, the college offered its gymnasium and garnered support for the move from the two local neighborhoods, uh, Haverford Village and Valley View. They're both in the precinct. They both supported this idea. But the board said that parking was 150 yards away. It wasn't close enough to the entrance that voters would have to cross a 13 mile per hour campus road with speed bumps on it. The 1300 student college uh, countered by saying by offering golf cart service from the parking lot to the precinct and and an officer to direct traffic across this 13 mile per hour road. Nonetheless, that proposal was rejected. However, after all of that, we've got some good news. We don't (laughs) like to leave you too despondent here. Um, This week on Monday, finally, some good news for the good folks at Haverford, at, uh, Haverford College, at least, following an outpouring of support. From the college and nearby residents, and I suspect an outcry following the Philadelphia Inquirer's excellent reporting on this, the Delaware County Board of Elections on Monday voted unanimously to move the precinct's polling place from Coopertown Elementary School to the mainline campus. Effective for the November elections, the polling place will be in the college's facilities building. Really shouldn't be that hard, but uh, well, there's uh, there's some uh, there's your happy ending, so to speak. Jack Stolzheimer, uh, the attorney who represented the uh, nearby residents who wanted the change, credited the persistence of residents and the college, and quote the power of the press, referring to that article uh, and an- another editorial in the Inquirer earlier this month.
0: So it took them more than a year, it sounds like, in order to get this to work. It took the students, it took the residents, and it took the power of the press, and it took time. It, it takes time to get these things fixed, and people need to remain engaged to get them fixed.
1: Zach Oberfield, an associate professor of political science at the 1300 Student College, who's been pushing for this change, he was thrilled. He said, quote, it's a moment where you feel like the system works, he said. We shed some light on the process. We met the concerns that were raised previously and we feel really good about the results it feels like a moment of victory for democracy we'll take any victory for democracy we can find around here Uh, quick break more victories ahead we will see we'll take quick break and we'll look at some of the new polling in a number of key races around the country that may offer some uh, victory for democracy as well we'll find out I'm Brad Friedman this is your Bradcast (laughs) making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. There's some happy music for you. Trying. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, elections are now less than six weeks away. Uh, And I think I've got some fairly good news, at least for Democrats today, I think. A number of different polls. I've been uh, trying to get to a lot of these uh, of late, but other stuff seems to keep coming up. So let's hit some of these because I do think they are encouraging. Democrats are heading into the final six-week stretch before the midterms with leads in both of Florida's crucial top-of-ticket races. Speaking of Florida, this, according to a an NBC News Marist poll out yesterday, Democratic Senator Bill Nelson leads Republican Governor Rick Scott in the race for Senate, 48 percent to 45 percent among likely voters in the Senate race. That is just three points. So that is well within the margin of error, frankly. But this is uh, one of the seats that Republicans Thought they had a very good chance to pick up. They still might. They've been very eager to pick this up. So um, it could be close in Florida, which is a phrase that nobody likes hearing. (laughs) Oh,
0: God, no. Um,
1: Especially me. But uh, it might be good news there for Democrats if voters show up and if they are allowed to vote and have their votes counted as cast, which is also never a sure bet in the in the state of Florida. But uh, more maybe good news here, Uh, I think better news even. Gubernatorial nominee Andrew Gillum in Florida leads Republican Congressman Ron DeSantis by five points. So that's just outside the margin of victory for this particular poll.
0: The margin of error.
1: What did I say? Margin Margin of of victory. victory. Yeah, right. Margin of error, uh, 48% to 43%. So that's still close, but Gillum seems to have uh, pretty good ground there. Lee M- Miringoff, the director of the Maris College Institute for Public Opinion, said the survey results suggest, quote, "The political environment in Florida overall is tipping in the Democrats' favor." Both of these races are being closely watched. Obviously, they are both highly competitive, a lot of money going into both of those races. The Senate contest could prove uh, uh, prove decisive in which party takes control of the chamber. I would say that if uh, if Rick Scott is able to unseat Bill Nelson, uh, I think the, uh, the, lo- the already long-shot chances of Democrats taking back the Senate will get much longer. Uh, the governor's race in Florida, however, pits a progressive, uh, vying to become the state's first black governor against a diehard Donald Trump ally. The NBC Marist results are in line with a number of other recent polls of likely Florida voters. Those surveys have showed uh, Scott and Nelson almost in a dead heat in the Senate race, with Gillum more substantially edging out DeSantis in some of these other polls. A slight outlier, NBC reports, is uh, the Quinnipiac University poll, which was released on Monday showing that Nelson was ahead of Scott. By seven points, 53 to 46. So um, some encouraging signs there for Democrats. And by the way, uh, Ernie Canning, Bradblog.com's legal contributor, sent me a note uh, today, yesterday. I don't know. Lost track. uh, Noting that if Gillum wins, the Democrat here, if he wins in the gubernatorial race, he'll get to appoint his own secretary of state to replace Ken Detzner who was handpicked by Rick Scott and who has been just so terrible and uh, trying to purge voters over many years, has lost in court in one case after another. But Florida, after all of these years, would have a secretary of state actually selected by a Democrat. Ernie notes that could lead to a raft of progressive changes in Florida that would make it easier to register and to vote in the Sunshine State. Well, that might be nice.
0: And also remember on the Florida State Ballot is a ballot initiative, a statewide initiative to restore the right to vote to felons. Ah,
1: yes! The, uh, what is it, million and a half uh, who are not allowed to vote at all in for the state life. of Florida for life, even though they're no longer serving in prison.
0: They've served their time. Yeah. They have to go through a, a an incredibly draconian uh, process. Oh, to it's get a their, joke. The process
1: is a joke to, to get where they their have voting to
0: rights restored. Right.
1: Beg personally, personally stand before yes. the governor and beg him to let them vote. It's appalling, and hopefully that policy itself. Uh, well, it needs to get, I think, 60 percent, uh, the initiative on the ballot. So that's going to take a, it's going to be a heavy lift. Hope it happens. If it doesn't, hopefully a Democratic governor can somehow change that. Uh, all right. Moving out to Texas here real quickly. The Cook Political, Repo- Political Report late last week updated its rating for Desi Doyen's home state of Texas and the heated Senate race there. They have moved it from leans Republican to now a toss up in the state of Texas for the Senate, for the U.S. Senate. This amid new polls showing uh, Congressman Beto O'Rourke, the Democrat, in a tightening race with Ted Cruz. The change in the rating came amid two other Senate race changes elsewhere. The uh, prediction website Cook Political Report changed its race for Senator John Tester, Democrat from Montana, that it, uh, had been a likely Democratic seat. Now it leans Democratic. Uh, the West Virginia Senate race moved from toss-up to leaning in favor of the incumbent Democrat uh, Joe Manchin. Democrat, in quotes, Joe Manchin. But uh, that's uh, also moving towards him. So good news for Democrats in both those states and Uh, In Texas, the updated status by Cook follows a series of polls showing that Cruz now has Ted Cruz, the Republican, a small, single-digit lead over uh, O'Rourke, who is considered his insurgent opponent, who has outraised Ted Cruz by millions of dollars since the campaign began, if we can take anything from that. A survey by Public uh, Policy Polling found Cruz with just a three-point lead over O'Rourke, late last week, among registered voters, a Reuters Ipsos poll of likely voters in the Lone Star State, uh, late last week, found O'Rourke with a two-point lead hmm. among likely voters in Texas. Now, in both of those cases, that uh, poll uh, those polls are within the margin of error, so if you believe in such polls, uh, at the very least, the Texas Senate race could now essentially be a toss-up The real clear politics average, however, still shows Cruz up with a four and a half point lead over O'Rourke based on um, a bunch of uh, recent polls there. Uh, That's still within the margin of error, however, for most polls. So we shall see. Finally, Arizona's closely watched Senate race is a statistical tie. Yes, in Arizona, that according to a new NBC News Marist College poll on Tuesday, that one shows Democratic um, nominee Kirsten Cinema leading Republican Martha McSally by three points with likely voters. That is also within the margin of error. However, the poll finds cinema uh, garnering 48% uh, from likely voters in a two-way contest. McSally has the backing of 45%. Uh, among all registered voters, not just likely voters, but all registered voters, the margin is very similar. Uh, that result shows that the race has tightened. However, since June, before McSally won the GOP nomination, at that point, Cinema was much farther ahead of McSally. So that thing is t- that race is tightening in Arizona. And then you add Green Party nominee Angela Green. Uh, she is a, uh, when she's noted as an option on the Senate ballot, Cinema's edge with likely voters slips to just two points with green picking up the support of 6% of voters. Okay. Greenies in Arizona. I love you dearly, but please pay attention to what your vote may or may not do this year in regards to who controls the Senate beginning next year and uh, who is able or not to put the brakes on our ongoing national emergency. All right, we got to get out here. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, as ever, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at theBradblog. Uh, you can drop me email as well I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves and for so many years both here and at bradblog.com now uh, quick note we're not going to be in for the uh, next Bradcast or two I realize it's the worst possible time for us not to be here But we have uh, hired a female assistant, as uh, (laughs) Mitch McConnell likes to say. Uh, Angie Coyro will be in for us for a couple of days here. We'll be back thereafter due to some unavoidable, long-planned travel. So, anyway, thanks for that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.